The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, a podcast brought to you by RepublicEN.org. I'm Chelsea Henderson, your host, and I'm super psyched to be here with you today. Just a programming note that this is our last episode before Thanksgiving, but I promise we'll be back to your ears on December 1st with a very special episode that you won't want to miss. But first, Thanksgiving is just over a week away, and listeners, I need some fresh dessert ideas. Please, no pumpkin pie recipes or variations of pumpkin pie recipes. Don't at me, but honestly, I hate pumpkin pie. Anyway, I always like to try something new, and this year I haven't had time to put into researching recipes, so if you have a family favorite that isn't pumpkin pie, I just felt like I needed to reiterate that, please send it my way. Today, I'm sharing with you my conversation with Jerome Hewlett, a board member of Citizens Climate Education, a branch of Citizens Climate Lobby, which you've come to know and love if you've been listening. Jerome brings to this newish position more than 30 years of creating and executing strategic business plans domestically and internationally. He's a trusted advisor to startup companies and sits on numerous boards, including now, as just mentioned, Citizens Climate Education. Jerome has proven experience in building and leading global teams to create new revenue streams while supporting real-time transactions and implementing policies to ensure compliance with domestic and international laws. We can't wait to see what he's going to do as an advisor at CCE. Before we get to Jerome, it's time for Whose Line Is It Anyway?, where I try to stump my teammates with a quote that relates to climate change. You can play along, listeners. Can you guess who said, when 9 out of 10 scientists say carbon dioxide emissions are creating a greenhouse gas effect and the planet is warming up, I believe the 9 and not the 1. First, we will turn to Wen Li for a guess. Hmm, is that Lisa Murkowski? Bob Inglis. I'm thinking that sounds like my friend Tom Friedman of the New York Times. Alex Bosmoski. Sounds like Bob to me. And finally, our esteemed producer, Price Atkinson. That's a tough one. Could it be Utah Senator Mitt Romney? For those of you who guessed South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, you are right. Senator Graham also likes to say that he's not a scientist and got the grades in school to prove it as a means of disarming the I'm not a scientist but excuse that used to pervade in climate disputer circles. Anyway, now finally, my interview with Jerome Hewlett. Welcome back, listeners. As I promised, I'm joined, we are joined today by Jerome Hewlett, who is a rather new, if I understand, member to the Citizens Climate Lobby's um, Citizens Climate Education arm. Is that, did I get that correct? 
You got it correct. It's still it's so new for me. Um, so, Jerome, we have had a couple of CCL guests on in the past. We had Jim Tolbert, who manages, as you probably know, the Conservative um, Caucus Action Team, and Kelsey Grant, who's a Conservative Fellow there. Some of our team members, some of our spokespeople overlap with their volunteer efforts at CCL as well. So we're very familiar with what the group does and the bill that they're advocating for. What are you all looking to do at um, Citizens Climate Education, which is an arm of CCL? Well, from from the education standpoint, what I'm looking to to add to the to the group is more about bridging that gap as far as making this truly bipartisan. When you look at a lot of the things that are being discussed today, whether it's a tax, whether it is, you know, the, the, the carbon tax specifically, um, fantastic idea, absolutely fantastic idea, especially when it comes with the dividend aspect of it. Absolutely, fully supportive of, of that initiative. However, in order to get businesses involved, who are the ones that you really need to get involved? What is it for them? What is it for their, you know, um, senators and congressmen and their constituencies? And bringing in innovation to stimulate the economy to actually trying to figure out this problem. Because, again, having a carbon tax and you're paying out dividends is one thing. But you need to make change to that infrastructure. And if you don't incentivize private money coming into this, incentivize the corporations that need to make those changes, um, it's going to be very hard for anyone to really accept any type of tax. So describe for us in your ideal world what it would look like for free enterprise to lead us to a climate solution. That's a really good question, and I'm still really trying to figure this out. Um, You know, the infrastructure that people have to change in order to reduce carbon emissions is is rather significant. Um, There are old infrastructures. Lots of people are employed because of that. Um, So when I look at the carbon tax and the dividends, you know, one of the things that we really need to focus in on, again, as I'm saying, I'm probably repeating myself, is how do we implement change in order to reduce those, you know, carbon emissions? I think there are a few groups out there today that are in the private sector that have been investing money into clean energy. There's, there's, a, there's a ton of companies out there, and there are a ton of investors that are out there today looking at trying to bring in new technologies. Having new technologies is one thing. There are absolutely fantastic ideas out there, but you need the businesses that are emitting those CO2 emissions to implement those things. And trying to stare uh, a tanker and make a shot corner is virtually impossible. Um, and these new technologies with these new people are, are a bunch of speedboats. 
how do you bring those two together? And I think that a carbon tax with the dividends that, especially the ones that CCL are, are um, you know, trying to push forward, is is a great start to the solution of what we need to have happen. Well, and I think that's a really interesting perspective, and and one we have definitely heard before. And it really just goes to show, you know, we don't really just think of climate change as an environmental issue, right? It is one that that corporate America cares about, that business leaders care about, especially if they're, you know, whether they're on the clean energy production side or they're on the solution side or whether they're on the emitting side, those emitters want to have some sense of certainty as well. They they want to know if, as they make their investments in the future, what that regulatory picture is going to look like in the future. And that's where we think the carbon tax is, or as the CCLers um, present it, the fee and dividend approach makes the most sense because you're really doing that level playing field. You're not um, giving an advantage or a, a leg up to one industry over another. You're saying everyone kind of starts equal and we let the market pick what solution ends up being, um, you know, honestly, the cheapest, right? Like we'll want to do what is most efficient for, you know, the biggest bang for the buck, I guess I should say. That That's true. And I think a level playing field from a global perspective is absolutely important to all of this. Um, if you can't, if you make it a little bit more expensive for the things that are being produced here in the United States and it's a lot cheaper overseas and they have no penalty or, or tax or dividend or, or fee, um, we all know what's going to happen. So the level, play, level playing field is absolutely important. But, you know, education is going to be extremely important. A lot of people will be affected by all of these changes and we need to educate them so they can take advantage of the new technologies that we need to put in so that they're prepared in order to make that shift. Um, and that's what I'm really saying about is you need to incentivize everyone in order to participate in this change, in order to enact the change. We need to implement new technologies and nothing's ever gonna change. While their fee might go up, we're still gonna have the same problem. So we need to incentivize them to implement new technologies. We need to get people prepared to be able to use those new technologies and to actually work in those new technologies. Well, and you just said the keywords, right? We're all in this together. Absolutely, we <laughs> are. We, um, as you know, um, anyone who hasn't been living under a rock knows, we just had an election. And at the date that Jerome and I are speaking, we are about a week away from election day 2020 and uh, still don't know the outcome to a couple of, of Senate races, but the presidency has been called at this point. Do you think that the outcome of this election increases the prospects for coming up with that um, durable bipartisan climate agreement that we really need in this country? Or do you think we still have a ways to go to get there? <laughs> and listeners, Jerome is laughing. We're on video right now. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. <laughs> um, you know, with the outcome of the presidential election, you know that there's a lot of support for for an initiative mm -hmm. to handle climate change. 
Um, but the key is the Senate. The key is the Congress. Yeah. Um, and we still don't know the answers to all of that at yeah. the moment. But even if, you know, and I'll just say it, if Georgia sways to the Democratic side mm-hmm. and the Democrats have, you know, control of, of the Senate, um, we still need to work for a bipartisan solution because it affects everyone. We need everyone to think that this is good for them. Um, having one party just try to jam something through, um, you know, Congress just to change climate isn't beneficial in my opinion. It's not we, absolutely no, right. We need to think about this from both, you know, a social perspective and an economic perspective. And when I look at climate, uh, and as far as innovation is concerned, and what it can actually do, not only for the climate, but for the economy. Um, when I look back over time, you know, the last big innovative type of, you know, piece of infrastructure that, that really changed the way that the United States did things and absolutely stimulated that economy. You take a look at NASA. When, you, when NASA was trying to get to space, so much technology was created in order to accomplish that task. Industries were, were invented. You know, Silicon Valley, in my opinion, and I've heard this from others, um, wouldn't be around if it wasn't for NASA because that all stimulated that technology boom. I believe that climate has the same type of impact, you know, both from a social perspective and also from an economic perspective. And everyone can benefit from this. Well, that's interesting um, way to put it because our executive director, Bob Inglis, who I know you um, know, he is fond of bringing up JFK's speech at Rice University about the moonshot and comparing climate change to that moment, right? And so I think that what you say really resonates with a lot of our listeners. And one thing, I guess, that we're trying to bridge is we know there are conservatives, Republicans, whatever they want to call themselves, we know that there are people, and it's reflected in the polling, who think that the government should do something on climate change, we happen to think at Republican.org that the carbon tax is the way to go or the carbon fee and dividend is, you know, a close second place. How does how do we translate that? That's I, I don't want to call it a groundswell because it's not like it's, you know, 75 or 80 percent, but it's a good it's a majority of people who I self-identify as being left uh, right of center think we should do something. How do we sway the lawmakers to want to do the same thing, especially if we do end up with a divided government, which it looks like we could end up having depending on how things go in Georgia in January. I get back to, and I'm I'm sure I'm sounding like a broken record now. And when you say carbon tax, carbon fee and dividend, it's one thing. Carbon innovation, dividend and fee, It's a whole different story Mm -hmm. because now you're showing both parties and both sides what's in it for them. We need to be able to figure out what's in it for everyone. Yes, we want to reduce, you know, CO2. Get that. Absolutely get that. 
and just mandating somebody to do that isn't the solution. So again, it's what you do with that fee and dividend in order to stimulate innovation and attract, and this is really important part of here, and attract private money into finding that solution is of the utmost importance. Because it's not going to be just the government. I think we need to actually engage private enterprise. And do you think that as um, as the country continues to recover and and who knows what's going to happen over the winter with the coronavirus, but you know we definitely took an economic hit over the summer, and um, you know I don't have a magic ball to nor do you, <laughs> to see how things um, might look in 2021-2022. But do you think that we can still make a good case for everything you just described, even if our general economic, global economic circumstances are less than favorable? Absolutely. And I think if you look back over time, what stimulates a country anything else is investment in infrastructure. And this is what this is all about, investment in infrastructure on a global basis. But for the United States, it's also very significant, and that will stimulate the economy. It will create jobs. It will create new revenue opportunities. It will create new wealth. And I think the time is right now for us to start doing that, and I think it would be extremely effective as soon as we start, as soon as we start tackling the coronavirus issue, and we start recovering from the economic setback that it put us into, I think that the time is absolutely perfect for us to start making that change now. Well, we're definitely with you. We think the time to make that change is now as well, and. I welcome you to this community, which I know you're um, new to, and look forward to future conversations and future collaborations. Thank you very much. Thank you for for having me today, and um, an extremely important issue that we need to solve collectively for everyone's sake. Where energy optimists and climate realists stand with us at republicen.org. Now, back to this week's episode. Price. This just keeps getting easier and easier, huh? <laughs> I love how you start off our segment every week with my name. And sometimes you hey. say it different ways. Price. Price. It's the different <laughs> inflation. I like how you... I, I didn't want to tell you that before we hit the record button. I wanted to save it for when you actually did it. So, um, where were we? <laughs> where were we? Well, here's where we were. It's the Friday before the Tuesday on which this episode is going to drop. And I found this very exciting quote this morning from Senator Chris Coons. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to try to get him on the pod because like other, I think there are a handful of Democratic senators who know how to reach across the aisle and strike a deal. And obviously he co-chairs the Senate Climate Solutions Caucus with Indiana Senator Mike Braun. Um, but Chris Kins said in public, this is a quote, yep. that he has four, five, three, four, or five Republican senators who he thinks will co-sponsor a carbon fee next year. He is in the final stages or finishing stages, his quote, 
of negotiating a carbon fee bill. And I think that's so exciting. As we sit here, the last couple of weeks, we've had episodes where we've talked about the political dynamic, especially in the Senate. You know, nothing really changed in the House. Um, The game is all, you know, all eyes are going to be on the Senate, which at this point we can presume will remain in, in Republican hands. I mean, if Georgia was called for pres- uh, President-elect Biden on this day that we're recording. Who knows what might happen with those Senate races? I think the polling favors the Republicans. Um, it would be a heavy lift for the Democrats to pick up those two seats. But either way, we're going to have a very close, potentially divided government. So if Senator Coons is right and he has, I mean, I would be excited by three, but he says three, four or five. My head is already doing the math. Who could it be? <laughs> Yeah, but it realistically, and I'm not—I don't think you get this type of number. But you're actually, if you really got, if all things were equal, and you got senators to vote, you know, past statements, things they've said, alluded to, you're honestly pushing close to ten on the Republican side that you could say, all right, you've got ten that we would guess three or four from. That is a big number. Now you may disagree with ten. But I think there's real, I mean, realistically, no, there's not. But are there, if you really were going to pull in, say, well, there's a chance. Yeah, I mean, he could. I mean, somebody like, you know, like a Ben Sass would be somebody I would include in that cat in, in that group because he's, he's spoken out about the need for, you know, to act on conservation and climate issues. Never, you know, said exactly how. But he's he's talked about we got to do something, and you know he is not the only one. I mean, there there sure there's the Lisa Murkowski's and the Lindsey Graham's and the Mitt Romney's, but there's people like Ben Sass that are that are right there that like a John Cornyn for instance. So, yeah. I the, the possibilities of what he said, I mean, I think is probably right on. But you've got a, a bigger stable right now of people that the tent has gotten bigger. Let me just say that. Yeah. And, you know, I do credit that the business community is getting more and more vocal on the need for a price on carbon. And so a few months ago, we had the business roundtable. You and I talked about this um, coming out with their climate statement that we needed to put a price on carbon. And, you know, don't underestimate the power of American corporate interests. So I think if they're giving the okay, and especially for those companies, those corporations that are based in states with senators who support we need, then there's a real likelihood that we could we could see something. So I like to be optimistic. This is our last episode before Thanksgiving. So I just want to hold on to a, a tad of optimism. I just feel like every day the sky is glowing and it's a new world. And I, I want to just have a time to cherish that. <laughs> yeah, we're looking optimistically at what the landscape is likely going to be in 2021. And when you look at, you know, climate policy, you can only and especially from hearing from people like, you know, Alex Flint and others, you know, that we've talked to and, you know, we've talked to on the podcast, but also talked to privately and on the side. I mean, there, there's reasons to be optimistic. Okay, so total topic shift price. <laughs> it's Thanksgiving yep. this week. So what's your favorite dessert? I'm not a big dessert guy. Okay. Um, I go with a second helping or third at the Thanksgiving table. My Thanksgiving des- dessert, in air quotes, is the stuffing, is the dressing. <laughs> that is I my love- that is yes. my okay. Thanksgiving dessert. My wife's I- chocolate, she does a homemade chocolate 
pie from scratch. It is requested every year. Um, and my uncle, who passed away um, a couple months ago, he always requested it as a vegan. It's not vegan, but it was one of the one times <laughs> of the year because of all the butter in it that he could eat uh, non-vegan, and he did. He won't be with us this year, unfortunately, but um, I know she will still make it, and I will have a piece of that, but my dessert is the dressing and stuffing. Well, I love dressing, but I, now I have to ask, you don't put oysters in your dressing, do no, you? No, no. I know you live okay. in Maryland, and oysters is a delicacy, but no. I, no, I, no, 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 no. That's not a, I don't think that's a Maryland thing. <laughs> I think that's a Southern thing. I had never heard of Crabs, I'm, think, I'm, I'm sorry. Crabs would be. You were thinking of crabs, yeah, which sorry. I don't think anyone would put in stuffing, but um I know that in more the deep south that they like oyster bread stuffing and I had it once and I thought it was really gross. Don't mm. at me listeners. Sorry. I like sausage and apples and sage and nuts and any other combination of things. Um, I am a big fan of stuffing, but you know, this year is going to be unconventional. Sure. Jack is coming back from college. Excitement. And I know, but we have to quarantine because he will have been on a plane and in Texas. So I'm going to have Thanksgiving with my ex-husband and his wife who were very friendly. You know, we're all very friendly. And, you know, my two kids are two kids and my ex-husband is allergic to poultry. Hmm. So when we were married, we always traveled at Thanksgiving and, uh, so we never had to worry about making a turkey or anything, but he makes carnitas on Thanksgiving because Ooh. he can't eat turkey. So he offered to cook and, and we'll still have some of the sides because everybody loves the sides, right? So I'll probably still make stuffing of some sort, maybe with chorizo now that I'm talking about it. Yum. But anyway, um, I was, request, it was requested that I make dessert. So I, and I hate pumpkin pie and I know that's a kind of unpopular opinion, but I'm really trying to come up with a dessert option that is seasonal, but a little different. So I'm, the search continues. Maybe listeners, if you have any ideas, email me. I would be happy to uh, take a peek at your recipe. All right. You mentioned last episode before Thanksgiving. Let's take this time for two things. One, shout out to a couple new members uh, that we had join up. We've got a lot of new members, but a couple we just randomly picked. Caroline B. in Texas, Charles S. in California, Alex R. in Florida, Anna W. in South Carolina, Nicholas V. in New York. Appreciate everybody for Signing up, republican.org forward slash join. Please stand with us. We need you, especially conservatives. Please, please, please. We will not spam you. It takes mere seconds. Number two, programming notes. Thanksgiving coming up next week. This is our final episode. We will not have an episode Thanksgiving week. Chelsea, give everybody the programming lowdown through the holidays in the first of the year. Okay, so we have some exciting episodes coming up, and this, of course, is pending that no one has to reschedule or cancel our um, times that we are set to record, but I hinted last week that I have two United States senators on my schedule to record for episodes, and I'm ready to announce that they are Senator Mike Braun from Indiana, co-chair of the Senate Climate Solutions Caucus with his pal Chris Coons, we already mentioned, and also Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, a Democrat from Rhode Island, who is like Senator Coons, the kind of guy that knows that he's got to reach across the aisle to cut a deal 
He's also super passionate about climate change. And so I'm excited to talk to both of those guys. Also scheduled, scheduled to interview Dr. Carrie Emanuel, conservative climate scientist out of MIT, and Neil Chatterjee, the um, outgoing commissioner now, our chairperson now, commissioner at FERC, still a commissioner at FERC, at least until June of um, 2021. He was just demoted from chairman because he said some positive things about um, the carbon tax, honestly. So <laughs> that should be a very interesting interview. And Looking forward to having bringing all of four of those conversations to you at some point in December. And then we will be back in early 2021 uh, to continue on as we get started in. Well, we won't call it season two, but it will be uh, it'll be year. Uh, well, technically year two, 2021. Yeah, for I don't us. know. We're going to have like a three week break. So I feel like we can call it season two. We could definitely do that. Yeah, we, we could definitely do that. Chelsea. This has been fun. I've had a I've had a blast doing this with you since we started in what I don't want to say mid pandemic. I don't even know what mid pandemic. It was, is, in June. it was in June. Our first episode was in June. Yes. What What are you most thankful for as we move into holiday season and the Thanksgiving season on the way out the door? Most thankful for when it comes to our team at Republican.org. I mean, I'm really thankful for our leader, Bob Inglis. He gives us so much leash, right? He lets us do what we want. We're like, hey, we want to do a podcast. He's like, okay. Um, we can review going back years was something that, you know, I, I started by doing the little itty bitty super short. If you ever go back into the archives and read some of the original mm. posts I used to do, they were baby posts. And in the old days, I used to run them by Alex Bosmoski for approval before I would post them. <clears throat> I think maybe even you posted them on our website in the beginning because I didn't have authority or what. Anyway, going way back and then it just kept evolving. And at some point, Alex realized he was holding up things. So he took himself out of the approval process and I'm just really thankful to work with a team of people who are passionate and who are so competent that we're able to just do our jobs with the trust and faith and appreciation of everyone else on the team. Agreed. Uh, I'm thankful for our entire team, everybody, especially Bob, because <laughs> so open-minded to trying different things because we work in a space where it can be bland sometimes and trying new things is is fun and exciting and this was one I of mean, those things. I mean it's hard so. to make the carbon tax sexy, <laughs> yeah. right? So Very. we we try to make it interesting and hopefully listeners you agree and of course price I'm so thankful for you. I do the easy part of the podcast listeners price is the one that listens and figures out where to cut, where to splice, how to to make it all sound beautiful and so thank you. You're always so supportive and kind and Listeners, we're thankful for you. We wouldn't be doing this if people weren't listening. So thank you for listening to us week after week. That's exactly right. And tune in uh, when we come back after Thanksgiving. We will be yeah. back for, again, three more episodes in December before taking a brief break for uh, the holidays and getting ready for 2021. All right. Happy Thanksgiving, all. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at republicen.org. 
Make sure to visit republicen.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.